They're called the missing years. Some scholars call them the lost years. All of those years in Jesus' life from the earliest moments of his birth to age 12, and then all the years from age 12 to age 30. Now, from time to time, people try to fill in those missing years as best they can. About three weeks ago, the National Geographic Channel gave it a shot on a, with a special, The Missing Years of Jesus. It was not particularly helpful. It dwelt more on John the Baptist and what he must have been like and whether Jesus knew him or not. And then it did some excavations of a small town that might have been about the size of Nazareth in the day of Jesus. It was a, a, an okay effort, but didn't fill in much. But others have tried to fill in that gap. The so-called lost gospels or Gnostic gospels sometimes contain stories of Jesus as a child. Uh, one in particular on the Sabbath, uh, Jesus is making clay pigeons, taking the clay pigeons and throwing them up in the air and watching them fly off. Well, one of his playmates watches him do this, and he goes and he tells Jesus' father, Joseph, that Jesus is working on the Sabbath, making these clay pigeons and throwing them in the air and watching them fly off. So Jesus, in response to this tattletale, strikes him dumb, and he's not able to speak until Joseph makes Jesus reverse this and change it. There's another story about Jesus in a foot race with a boy there in Nazareth, and Jesus loses the foot race, and not being a very gracious loser, he strikes the boy dead. It's pretty obvious when you run across lost gospels or so-called forgotten books of the Bible, it's pretty obvious why they were lost or forgotten by the church. Not uh, in any way or shape really the Word of God. So those years, to our way of thinking, to our minds, are sort of a blank. We just don't know anything. But I think the problem is not some sort of lack of communication from God. The problem about the missing years may be what is missing is our understanding. This morning, I'd like to help you understand what I think we're not understanding. The first is this, that the Hebrew mind communicates and uh, tells uh, truth differently than the Western mind. So the Hebrew mind often tells uh, truth through story and through hints. So sometimes things that we would say as a point-blank declarative sentence, they might use a story. So instead of saying, you should love people in need even if you don't like them, Jesus doesn't say that, but rather tells the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it has that meaning and, and so much more. And often they would uh, teach by hints. They would show you a little bit of a picture knowing that you could fill in the rest. And Luke gives us some very significant hints uh, in the scripture. The first hint is this, that on the eighth day, Jesus' mom and dad take him and circumcise him. And on the 36th to the 40th day, they come for the purification uh, rites for Mary and also to redeem uh, uh, their son, Jesus. By just telling you two little stories, Luke is telling you so much more. He's telling you that Jesus is brought up in a devoutly uh, Jewish family in Galilee. He's brought up the way any devout Jewish boy would be brought up in Galilee. And that will tell you, as we, as we go on this morning, a whole lot more than what we may think it tells us. Then it tells us, Luke says, when Jesus was 12, he went to the temple and started quizzing some of the religious leaders. Well, one of the things this tells us is that Jesus has probably come to Jerusalem for the, quote, first Passover, unquote. Now, it doesn't mean the first time he's ever been to Passover. First Passover was when a young man reached 20. He, could, uh, he was considered spiritually mature, and he could lead the family in the Passover sacrifice. The exception was if a boy had reached the age of 12 and had memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, completely. 
What we get in this story from Luke is inside information that Jesus has memorized the scriptures, that he knows his Bible is Torah inside and out. And so at age 12, he's not only ready to lead the family, at age 12, he can go in and teach the other religious leaders because in that day they taught by questions, not so much by um, lecture. And then Luke um, and the other God, Luke gives us that information. Other Gospels tell us that Jesus began his ministry at age 30. This was a time when the great rabbis of the day, rabbi was a title, it was not a position that you merited, it was a title they gave to you by the quality of your teaching in life, but the, but the, but the practice was by age 30, you had apprenticed with a master rabbi long enough that if he thought you were able and ready at age 30, you called your own disciples. And so what Luke is telling us is that Jesus was raised in the system that everybody else who was devout in Galilee would have been raised in. And that will tell us a lot. Because what's missing is not only understanding that they will tell so much more by just a few stories, they hint at so much more. We also, I think, fail to understand the way um, boys were trained in the faith in, uh, in ancient Israel. And the, uh, the, the training began with the parents. Uh, the teaching began in the home. And as, uh, it's a wonderful description in a book called Our Father Abraham by Marvin Wilson. He says that when Jewish boys in Jesus' day would pray for their parents, they would say, I bless you, God, for my father, my teacher. And I bless you, God, for my mother, my teacher. They understood that in the matters of faith, their parents were the first and primary teachers. A Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, one of the great rabbis of the 20th century, uh, made this observation. He said what the Jews learned in ancient Israel is we didn't need so much textbooks as we needed text people. And so what would happen is Jesus would watch his mother and dad live the word of God in their life, and he would learn to do the same. So it started there at home. Now, I know how your family did it, but my family was when our child was about two, we came and dropped him off in Sunday school. And we expected Sunday school would do it. And if, we didn't, if they didn't do a good job, we'd either complain or take them to some other church where they would. Now, there's nothing wrong with Sunday school. But the understanding in ancient Israel was the primary responsibility was always in the home. Now, by the time of Jesus, they had developed a system of schooling for about half days. And the, the first school started when you were five years old. If you were a boy from age five to 12, you would learn to read, to write. You'd learn history, science, and math all through studying the Torah. And, uh, and if you got good enough... At age 12, you might move on to the next step, which was from ages 13 to 15, when you would study further uh, outside the Torah and the other uh, books of the Scripture. And then, uh, after 15, if you were really sharp at 16 or 17 or 18, some great rabbi might pick you or accept you into their school, and your education would continue as long as you were progressing until you were 30 years old, at which time you were expected, if you had cut it, to go out and get your own disciples. Now, this is very rare that a person would make it this far all the way to 30. Uh, scholars estimate of every 10,000 boys raised in Galilee, only one out of 10,000 would make it that far. It's like a lot of children play basketball in, in the peewee leagues, and then a few make the high school team, fewer of them make the college team, fewer of them make the NBA, and just a select few of the NBA make the all-star team. That's how difficult it was to get where Jesus uh, got in his life. So what we find out is these so-called lost and missing years aren't lost and missing at all. 
They are extremely busy. Jesus is spending a great deal of time and energy learning the word of God from his parents and from schooling and then from another rabbi and then beginning to practice living the word of God. And he finally gets to a point where he's mastered it and can teach it to others. There is a great deal going on in these missing years. And the reason the scriptures don't tell us is because they figure we know. Because the people at the time would have, knew, would have known what Jesus had to go through. So I think what's missing in our understanding is just the idea that they teach through hints. That a little story can say a whole lot more. That they had a very uh, structured uh, and passionate system of educating in the faith. And the other thing I think sometimes that's missing from us is the, is the realization or the understanding that life is lived in ordinary daily moments of obedience. Sometimes we look for the great miracles or the great teachings or, or the great breakouts that, that, that people, or breakthroughs that people have. But what the scriptures are teaching us is that people are like icebergs. And we may see the tip when we watch them in action or hear their teaching or see something rather miraculous. But what the scriptures are teaching us is this tip of the iceberg is supported by so much more that went on for so many years of daily preparation through prayer and study and activity. All this preparation led a person to the point where finally they were able to do things that others would look at and recognize and go, wow, that was a very godly thing that they did. And in fact, I think Eugene Peterson probably sums it up best when he describes the walk of faith as, um, as a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction that we just keep going toward God every, step by step every day. And Jesus is doing this. And finally at age 30, we see that it has come together. But everything that's happening from the eighth day until he's 30 years old is training and development to be the person God has called and created him to be. I remember that a number of you commented some Sundays ago when I, when I said that scholars believe that after Paul had his experience on the road to Damascus, he didn't set out on a missionary journey for 14 more years. One of the things we're learning is that Paul had to be re-discipled in the ways of Jesus. He couldn't just go out. He knew that he had to develop the foundation under the water, and then the tip would eventually be ready and be seen on his missionary journeys. It's a long walk of preparation and obedience, and that's what Jesus is doing every day. And that's what we will be called to do every day. So those moments when the opportunity comes to say the right word, to do the right action, to be the right person, it won't just be something that accidentally happened. It'll be something that developed out of years of walking toward God with God's word in prayer and in action. And you might be saying, well, I would assume that God would have a lot to do with who Jesus became. And, and, and you are right. There's no question that one of the key verses here is that Jesus grew and became strong and he was filled with wisdom. That God poured wisdom into him and that the grace of God was on him. But I would ask you if you think Jesus was the type of person ready to hold everything God was going to pour into him. The prophet Jeremiah brought a word from God to the people and said this. God says, I've got this problem with you. You're trying to drink water from broken and cracked cisterns. In other words, you can't hold what God wants to do. You can't.